section twenty two of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven continued john milton sixteen o eight sixteen seventy four thy soul was like a star and dwelt apart thou hadst a voice whose sound was like the sea pure as the naked heavens majestic free so didst thou travel on life's common way in cheerful godliness and yet thy heart the lowliest duties on herself did lay from wordsworth's sonnet on milton shakespeare and milton are the two figures that tower conspicuously above the goodly fellowship of men who have made our literature famous each is a representation of the age that produced him and together they form a suggestive commentary upon the two forces that rule our humanity the forces of impulse and the force of a fixed purpose shakespeare is the poet of impulse of the loves hates fears jealousies and ambitions that swayed men of his age milton is the poet of steadfast will and purpose who moves like a god amid the fears and hopes and changing impulses of the world regarding them as trivial and momentary things that can never swerve a great soul from its course it is well to have some such comparison in mind while studying the literature of the elizabethan and the puritan age while shakespeare and ben jonson and their unequal company of wits make merry at the mermaid tavern there is already growing up on the same london street a poet who shall bring a new force into literature who shall add to the renaissance culture and love of beauty the tremendous moral earnestness of the puritan such a poet must begin as the puritan always began with his own soul to discipline and enlighten it before expressing its beauty in literature he that would hope to write well hereafter in laudable things says milton ought himself to be a true poem that is a composition and pattern of the best and most honorable things here is a new proposition in art which suggests the lofty ideal of fra angelico that before one can write literature which is the expression of the ideal he must first develop in himself the ideal man because milton is human he must know the best in humanity therefore he studies giving his days to music art and literature his nights to profound research and meditation but because he knows that man is more than mortal he also prays depending as he tells us on devout prayer to that eternal spirit who can enrich with all utterance and knowledge such a poet is already in spirit far beyond the renaissance though he lives in the autumn of its glory and associates with its literary masters there is a spirit in man says the old hebrew poet and the inspiration of the almighty giveth him understanding here in a word is the secret of milton's life and writing hence his long silences years passing without a word and when he speaks it is like the voice of a prophet who begins with the sublime announcement the spirit of the lord is upon me 
hence his style producing an impression of sublimity which has been marked for wonder by every historian of our literature his style was unconsciously sublime because he lived and thought consciously in a sublime atmosphere life of milton milton is like an ideal in the soul like a lofty mountain on the horizon we never attain the ideal we never climb the mountain but life would be inexpressibly poorer were either to be taken away from childhood milton's parents set him apart for the attainment of noble ends and so left nothing to chance in the matter of training his father john milton is said to have turned puritan while a student at oxford and to have been disinherited by his family whereupon he settled in london and prospered greatly as a scrivener that is a kind of notary in character the elder milton was a rare combination of scholar and business man a radical puritan in politics and religion yet a musician whose hymn tunes are still sung and a lover of art and literature the poet's mother was a woman of refinement and social grace with a deep interest in religion and in local charities so the boy grew up in a home which combined the culture of the renaissance with the piety and moral strength of early puritanism he begins therefore as the heir of one great age and the prophet of another apparently the elder milton shared bacon's dislike for the educational methods of the time and so took charge of his son's training encouraging his natural tastes teaching him music and seeking out a tutor who helped the boy to what he sought most eagerly not the grammar and mechanism of greek and latin but rather the stories the ideals the poetry that hide in their incomparable literatures at twelve years we find the boy already a scholar in spirit unable to rest till after midnight because of the joy with which his study was rewarded from boyhood two great principles seem to govern milton's career one the love of beauty of music art literature and indeed of every form of human culture the other a steadfast devotion to duty as the highest object in human life a brief course at the famous st paul's school in london was the prelude to milton's entrance to christ's college cambridge here again he followed his natural bent and like bacon found himself often in opposition to the authorities aside from some latin poems the most noteworthy song of this period of milton's life is his splendid ode on the morning of christ's nativity which was begun on christmas day sixteen twenty nine milton while deep in the classics had yet a greater love for his native literature spencer was for years his master in his verse we find every evidence of his loving study of shakespeare and his last great poems show clearly how he had been influenced by fletcher's christ's victory and triumph but it is significant that this first ode rises higher than anything of the kind produced in the famous age of elizabeth while at cambridge it was the desire of his parents that milton should take orders in the church of england but the intense love of mental liberty which stamped the puritan was too strong within him and he refused to consider the oath of servitude as he called it which would mark his ordination 
throughout his life milton though profoundly religious held aloof from the strife of sects in belief he belonged to the extreme puritans called separatists independents congregationalists of which our pilgrim fathers are the great examples but he refused to be bound by any creed or church discipline as ever in my great taskmaster's eye in this last line of one of his sonnets note on his being arrived to the age of twenty-three is found milton's rejection of every form of outward religious authority in face of the supreme puritan principle the liberty of the individual soul before god a long period of retirement followed milton's withdrawal from the university in sixteen thirty two at his father's country home in horton he gave himself up for six years to solitary reading and study roaming over the wide fields of greek latin hebrew spanish french italian and english literatures and studying hard at mathematics science theology and music a curious combination to his love of music we owe the melody of all his poetry and we note it in the rhythm and balance which makes even his mighty prose arguments harmonious in lycidas l'allegro il penseroso arcades comus and a few sonnets we have the poetic results of this retirement at horton few indeed but the most perfect of their kind that our literature has recorded out of solitude where his talent was perfected milton entered the busy world where his character was to be proved to the utmost from horton he traveled abroad through france switzerland and italy everywhere received with admiration for his learning and courtesy winning the friendship of the exiled dutch scholar grotius in paris and of galileo in his sad imprisonment in florence note it is remarkable says lamartine how often in the libraries of italian princes and in the correspondence of great italian writers of this period you find mention of the name and fame of this young englishman End of note he was on his way to greece when news reached him of the break between king and parliament with the practical insight which never deserted him milton saw clearly the meaning of the news his cordial reception in italy so chary of praise to anything not italian had reawakened in milton the old desire to write an epic which england would not willingly let die but at thought of the conflict for human freedom all his dreams were flung to the winds he gave up his travels and literary ambitions and hurried to england for i thought it base he says to be travelling at my ease for intellectual culture while my fellow-countrymen at home were fighting for liberty then for nearly twenty years the poet of great achievement and still greater promise disappears we hear no more songs but only the prose denunciations and arguments which are as remarkable as his poetry in all our literature there is nothing more worthy of the puritan spirit than this laying aside of personal ambitions in order to join in the struggle for human liberty in his best-known sonnet on his blindness which reflects his grief not at darkness but at his abandoned dreams we catch the sublime spirit of this renunciation 
milton's opportunity to serve came in the crisis of sixteen forty nine the king had been sent to the scaffold paying the penalty of his own treachery and england sat shivering at its own deed like a child or a russian peasant who in sudden passion resists unbearable brutality and is then afraid of the consequences two weeks of anxiety of terror and silence followed then appeared milton's tenure of kings and magistrates to england it was like the coming of a strong man not only to protect the child but to justify his blow for liberty kings no less than people are subject to the eternal principle of law the divine right of a people to defend and to protect themselves that was the mighty argument which calmed a people's dread and proclaimed that a new man and a new principle had arisen in england milton was called to be secretary for foreign tongues in the new government and for the next few years until the end of the commonwealth there were two leaders in england cromwell the man of action milton the man of thought it is doubtful to which of the two humanity owes most for its emancipation from the tyranny of kings and prelates two things of personal interest deserve mention in this period of milton's life his marriage and his blindness in sixteen forty three he married mary powell a shallow pleasure-loving girl the daughter of a royalist and that was the beginning of sorrows after a month tiring of the austere life of a puritan household she abandoned her husband who with the same radical reasoning with which he dealt with affairs of state promptly repudiated the marriage his doctrine and discipline of divorce and his tetracordon are the arguments to justify his position but they aroused a storm of protest in england and they suggest to a modern reader that milton was perhaps as much to blame as his wife and that he had scant understanding of a woman's nature when his wife fearing for her position appeared before him in tears all his ponderous arguments were swept aside by a generous impulse and though the marriage was never a happy one milton never again mentioned his wife's desertion the scene in paradise lost where eve comes weeping to adam seeking peace and pardon is probably a reflection of a scene in milton's own household his wife died in sixteen fifty three and a few years later he married another whom we remember for the sonnet methought i saw my late espoused saint in which she is celebrated she died after fifteen months and in sixteen sixty three he married a third wife who helped the blind old man to manage his poor household from boyhood the strain on the poet's eyes had grown more and more severe but even when his sight was threatened he held steadily to his purpose of using his pen in the service of his country during the king's imprisonment a book appeared called eikon basilike royal image giving a rosy picture of the king's piety and condemning the puritans the book speedily became famous and was the source of all royalist arguments against the commonwealth in sixteen forty nine appeared milton's eikonoclastes image breaker which demolished the flimsy arguments of the eikon basilike as a charge of cromwell's ironsides had overwhelmed the king's followers after the execution of the king appeared another famous attack upon the puritans 
defensio regia pro carlo primus instigated by charles the second who was then living in exile it was written in latin by salmasius a dutch professor at leyden and was hailed by the royalists as an invincible argument by order of the council of state milton prepared a reply his eyesight had sadly failed and he was warned that any further strain would be disastrous his reply was characteristic of the man and the puritan as he had once sacrificed his poetry so he was now ready he said to sacrifice his eyes also on the altar of english liberty his magnificent defensio pro populo anglicano is one of the most masterly controversial works in literature the power of the press was already strongly felt in england and the new commonwealth owed its standing partly to milton's prose and partly to cromwell's policy the defensio was the last work that milton saw blindness fell upon him ere it was finished and from sixteen fifty two until his death he labored in total darkness the last part of milton's life is a picture of solitary grandeur unequaled in literary history with the restoration all his labors and sacrifices for humanity were apparently wasted from his retirement he could hear the bells and the shouts that welcomed back a vicious monarch whose first act was to set his foot upon his people's neck milton was immediately marked for persecution he remained for months in hiding he was reduced to poverty and his books were burned by the public hangman his daughters upon whom he depended in his blindness rebelled at the task of reading to him and recording his thoughts in the midst of all these sorrows we understand in samson the cry of the blind champion of israel now blind disheartened shamed dishonored quelled to what can i be useful wherein serve my nation and the work from heaven imposed but to sit idle on the household hearth a burdenous drone to visitants a gaze or pitied object milton's answer is worthy of his own great life without envy or bitterness he goes back to the early dream of an immortal poem and begins with superb consciousness of power to dictate his great epic paradise lost was finished in sixteen sixty five after seven years labor in darkness with great difficulty he found a publisher and for the great work now the most honored poem in our literature he received less than certain verse-makers of our day receive for a little song in one of our popular magazines its success was immediate though like all his work it met with venomous criticism dryden summed up the impression made on thoughtful minds of his time when he said this man cuts us all out and the ancients too thereafter a bit of sunshine came into his darkened home for the work stamped him as one of the world's great writers and from england and the continent pilgrims came in increasing numbers to speak their gratitude the next year milton began his paradise regained in sixteen seventy one appeared his last important work samson agonistes the most powerful dramatic poem on the greek model which our language possesses 
the picture of israel's mighty champion blind alone afflicted by thoughtless enemies but preserving a noble ideal to the end is a fitting close to the life work of the poet himself for years he was silent dreaming who shall say what dreams in his darkness and saying cheerfully to his friends still guides the heavenly vision he died peacefully in sixteen seventy four the most sublime and the most lonely figure in our literature End of section twenty two